Hello everyone, I'm Christopher Tan and welcome to Providence Money Wisdom, an original podcast inspired by my book Money Wisdom, Simple Truths for Financial Wellness. In this podcast, I'll be sharing simple financial truths to guide you in navigating through the minefields of misinformation and false promises in order to achieve financial security and peace of mind. Hello everyone, for those of us who are celebrating Visat Day, on behalf of Provident, we would like to wish you a happy and peaceful Visat Day. And for the rest of us, do enjoy this long weekend before the next one in August. Thank you. Lessons from a trip down memory lane. Burton G. Malkiel, in his book A Random Walk Down Wall Street, tells of this event in the 17th century. In 1593, a newly appointed botany professor from Vienna brought to Leiden, a city and municipality in the province of South Holland in the Netherlands, a collection of unusual plants that had originated from Turkey. The Dutch were fascinated with this new addition to the garden, but not with the professor's asking price. One night, A thief broke into his house and stole the tulip bulbs, which were subsequently sold at a lower price but at a greater profit. Over the next decade or so, the tulip became a popular but expensive item in Dutch gardens. Many of these flowers succumbed to a non-fatal virus known as mosaic. This virus caused the tulip petals to develop contrasting coloured stripes or flames. The Dutch highly valued these infected bulbs, called bazaars, and in a short time, popular taste dictated that the more bizarre a bulb, the greater the cost of owning it. Slowly, tulip mania set in. At first, bulbs merchants simply tried to predict the most popular variegated style for the coming year. Then, they would buy an extra-large stockpile to anticipate a rise in price. Tulip bulb prices began to rise wildly. The more expensive the bulbs became, the more people viewed them as smart investments. The ordinary industry of the country was dropped in favour of speculation in tulip bulbs. Nobles, citizens, farmers, mechanics, seamen, footmen, maidservants, Even chimney sweeps and and old-clothes women dabbled in tulips. Everyone imagined that the passion for tulips would last forever and buyers from all over the world would come to Holland and pay whatever prices were asked of them. People who said the prices could not possibly go higher watched with chagrin as their friends and relatives made enormous profits. The temptation to join them was hard to resist, and few Dutchmen did. In the last years of the tulip spree, which lasted approximately from 1634 to 1637, people started to barter their personal belongings such as land, jewels, and furniture to obtain the bulbs that would make them even wealthier. Bulb prices reached astronomical levels. Apparently, as happened in all speculative crazes, prices eventually got so high that some people decided they would be prudent, so they sold their bulbs. Soon, others followed, 
and like a snowball rolling downhill, bulb deflation grew at an increasingly rapid pace, and in no time, panic reigned. Government ministers stated officially that there was no reason for tulip bulbs to fall in price, but no one listened. Dealers went bankrupt and refused to honor their commitment to buy tulip bulbs. A government plan to settle all contracts at 10% of their face value was frustrated when bulbs fell even below this mark, and prices continued to decline. Down and down they went till most bulbs became almost worthless, selling for no more than the price of a common onion. You may be listening to this in amazement and thinking that this sort of thing will never happen in our time. Well, unfortunately, you will be disappointed. There's this thing called the case of tulip mania in stock market. You see, from early March 1928 through early September 1929, the stock market percentage increase in the U.S. equaled that of the entire period from 1923 through early 1928. Stock market speculation was a national pastime. People were borrowing to buy stock. On 3rd September 1929, the market reached a peak that was not surpassed for a quarter of a century, even though business activities and sentiments have fallen months before. On 5th September, the market suffered a sharp decline. Even though bankers and government officials assured the country that there was no cause for concern, the market ignored it. When customers began selling their holdings due to their inability to meet the margin calls, markets fell further. The market panic reached its peak on 29th October 1929. Prices fell almost perpendicularly, and by the time the lows were reached in 1932, most blue chip stocks had fallen 95%. I cannot list down in detail all the speculative craze and madness in the history of the stock market, but suffice to say, similar mad chasing of returns occurred from the 1960s onwards. In the 1960s and 1970s, it was about growth stocks such as IBM and Texas Instruments that were sold at ridiculous prices, but buyers bought because they firmly believed that many would be willing to pay a much higher price in future. In 1980s, it was about new issues, otherwise known as initial public offerings. This was especially so for biotechnology companies, which had no current earnings to show, but simply a pipeline of potential products, some of which never got their chance to see daylight. Next came the Asian financial crisis in 1997 to 1998, and the burst of the internet bubble in the year 2000. It was 1999 when I was still new to this wealth management industry. All I remembered was that everyone was buying technology and internet-related shares and unit trusts. Everyone felt that the future was in the internet. You look stupid if you stay off such investments. You see. The internet then represented a new technology that offered new business opportunities that promised to revolutionize the way we obtain information and purchase goods and services. 
even though these companies had no earnings to show at all and simply had a concept or hot idea, speculators would flock to them as long as they had a dot-com name attached. Even professional managers believed in them. I put on my book a table that showed all these funds that were launched. And guess what? These funds were set up in 1999 and the year 2000. So how could they go wrong? But in the middle of 2000, the Nasdaq crashed. The next major crash was of course the 2008 global financial crisis. Otherwise, some people call it the Great Recession. That financial crisis, the worst ever after the Great Depression that erupted in 1929, was mainly caused by poor regulation in the financial industry. Loans were extended to subprime borrowers, that is people with poor credit histories who struggled to repay them. These risky mortgages were passed on to irresponsible financial engineers at big banks who turned them into so-called low-risk securities by putting large number of them together in pools. The pool mortgages were used to back securities known as CDOs. What happened next was that banks began to engage in hedge fund trading and derivatives and then demanded more mortgages to support the profitable sale of these derivatives. When these subprime borrowers began to default on their loans and prices of houses started to plunge, devaluing housing-related securities, banks had to scramble for capital cover as a large chunk of CDOs that they were holding was fast becoming worthless. These spiraling effects created the financial crisis that led to the GFC. Now, what can we learn from history? How does knowing the history of the stock markets help us? Well, firstly, this time is not different. Investment managers or investment professionals always say, this time is different. I disagree. I say that there is nothing new under the sun. The history of the stock market shows us that tulip mania has been repeating itself since the 17th century. The greed of humans will keep us buying hot stocks even when the company's profit are not in sight and we will sell in panic when markets take a downturn. Most of us never learn from history. We always succumb to that unhealthy desire of making lots of money in the shortest period of time. Secondly, professionals are not always right. The 2000 internet bubble and the 2008 GFC have clearly shown us that professionals are not always right. In fact, many times they have been proven to be wrong. How could fund managers, investment advisors, wealth managers, so-called experts, not know that those internet stocks or mortgage-backed securities were fundamentally flawed? Well, many probably knew, but they eagerly fed our greed, even as they satisfied their own desire, maximization of profits and advancements in careers. The third thing we learn from history is the precarious human sentiments. You see, while we all hate to lose money, 
We dislike it even more when others are seemingly making lots of it and we are not. So we follow the crowd. When everyone sells in fear, we believe the majority and follow suit. We don't realize that a majority decision doesn't always mean that it is the right decision. Human sentiments have no bearing on the true value of businesses. So, how then should we invest? Using the stock market history as a lesson, it is really not difficult to make money from investing. Ignore the short-term fluctuation as it has nothing to do with businesses. Ignore what professionals tell you, especially those who make more money by selling to you than advising you. Invest in stocks of good businesses for the long term. Sound simple? Well, it is really that simple, but unfortunately, not easy. Many may not know how to identify those good businesses. Short-term fluctuations may cause us to lose our sleep and give us ulcers such that we may not be able to invest long-term. While the professional's advice seems too hard to ignore, so what can we do? Well, to avoid having the need to pick the right stock, buy all of the companies in the stock market through a low-cost index fund or ETF or what we at Provident call evidence-based funds. Throughout the reading of this particular book that I've written, I've advocated these market-based instruments based on our years of experience investing on behalf of our clients. If you dislike the fluctuations, diversify your investments over different geographic regions and asset classes. Ignore short-term noise as the human greed and fear have absolutely nothing to do with your long-term investments. In fact, if you are a long-term investor and a net saver, you would rejoice when the market falls. Why? Because it presents you with an opportunity, that chance to buy even more at sale price. Once again, if you have to listen to a professional, make sure you choose one who takes care of your long-term goal rather than his own short-term ambitions. How would you know? And how can you ensure that he delivers what he promises? Instead of paying him a huge commission for each product he sells to you, put him on a regular payroll instead. Remove him if he cannot do the job. Having gone through the Asian financial crisis, the internet bubble in 2000, SARS, the oil price surge and plunge over the last 10 years or more, and having read about the history of the market for the last 300 years, this is what I can tell you. Just as the sun always rises from the east and sets in the west, the market will rise and the market will fall. It has always been and it will always be. If you have done your investments correctly, sleep well. Tomorrow is a new day. Thank you for tuning in to Providence Money Wisdom. I will be back soon with the next episode. For more information on my book or Providence services, kindly visit Providence.com. I'll see you the next time. All analysis, views or opinions from interviews, recommendations and other information broadcasted 
podcasted or published herein are provided for general information purposes only. Information expressed does not take into account any specific situation, particular needs or objectives, and should not be construed as specific advice or a recommendation. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal or tax professional before taking any action. Provident Limited does not accept any liability for any loss whatsoever arising from any use of the information broadcasted, podcasted or published herein. All contents and information contained herein may not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part by any means without prior written consent of Provident Limited.